Numbers chapter 22, if you are there, somebody say amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 22 and verse number 1, it reads like this. It says that the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And just to fill you in, if you don't know what all they've done, Israel has come off a string of victories by the time we pick up in the scripture here. They, they've defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and they took all their cities. And then they turn around and defeated Og, the king of Bashan, and possessed his land. And now Balak is getting nervous. Balak's a little nervous about what's happening. In verse 3 it says that Moab was sore afraid of the people. I like it when the devil gets afraid of the people of God. He was afraid because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us. As the ox licketh up the grass of the field, and Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. And verse 5 says that he sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Baor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people. There is a people, and they have come out from Egypt. And behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. In verse number 6, I like this one. He's telling Balaam, he says, Come now, therefore I am begging you, I pray thee, curse me this people. And now you get a little glimpse of what's going through the mind of the king, he says, Curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. I like it when the devil realizes what's up against him. He said, Come, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, maybe, just maybe, I can prevail and that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed. And he whom thou cursest is cursed. He said, curse me this people, because they are too mighty for me. I don't want to get ahead of myself tonight, but I want you to know that the reason the enemy wants to curse you is because he understands that you are too mighty for him. The reason the enemy wants to speak evil to you is behind closed doors, if I could say it like that. Behind closed doors, he's really trembling With the idea that maybe, just maybe, you're going to figure out who you really are. And who you really, and what you really are capable of. So with the help of the Lord tonight, for just a few minutes, I want to preach to you on this thought. Your enemy believes in you. Your enemy believes in you. Why don't you find two or three people close by you and tell them. Tell them that your enemy believes in you. And you may be seated in the name of Jesus. You know, it's been said with increasing frequency from across this pulpit, but I just want to be another voice of reminder tonight to stand before you and remind somebody that the devil is still a liar. I I believe it. The devil is still a liar. Everything he has ever told you, it's been a lie. 
Everything he will ever tell you, it's going to be a lie. Everything he's trying to speak into your life right now, it is a lie. You can be assured tonight that if the devil is trying to speak into your mind and into your life, the only thing that he is speaking is lies. I believe that everything that he has told you about your family, it's been a lie. Everything he's told you about your future, it's been a lie. Everything he's tried to tell you about this church and about what is going to happen and about the revival that he doesn't think is going to happen in this city. Everything that he has spoken, well, it's been a lie. If you believe it, somebody shout amen. amen. Well, well, how can you know that, preacher? Well, it's pretty simple. It's written in the book. Jesus made it pretty clear in John chapter 8 and verse 44 when he said, There is no truth in the devil. There's no truth in him. Whatever he speaks, it's a lie because when he speaks, he speaks of his own because he is a liar. So when the devil starts speaking, he can't break out of his character. Jesus made that pretty clear in Luke chapter 6 when he said, It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh. So if the devil is a liar and his character is that of a liar, well, you can rest assured that if he is speaking to you, He's speaking lies when he tries to tell you that you aren't going to make it. When he tries to tell you your family's not going to make it. When he tries to tell you that your lost loved ones aren't going to come back. When he tries to tell you you're never going to break out of that addiction. When he tries to tell you you're never going to break out of the way your life used to be. And the circle you used to run in. I can assure you tonight that if the devil is speaking into your life, the only thing he is able to speak is a lie. But there is a distinction that I think we have to understand about the devil. And it is we, we understand that the devil only has the ability to speak lies. The devil does not have the ability to speak the truth. But that doesn't mean that he does not know the truth. He knows the truth. He just doesn't have the ability to speak the truth. James gives us a, a look into this in James chapter 2 and verse number 19 when he says, you believe that there is one God and I believe there's one God. He says, if you believe that you do well, but the devils also believe and they tremble. There's something about the truth that terrifies the devil. There's something about the truth that makes him just shake in his boots. You can know sure and well the devil understands there's only one God. You will never find recorded anywhere in history at any time where the devil ever went up to a Hindu man and said, Hey, by the way, I know you're worshiping hundreds of gods, but hey, there's only one God. You're never going to find in history where he went up to somebody in Greek culture or Roman culture when they worship the pantheon, they worship all these idols and all these gods. You're never going to find it where the devil comes up and whispers to somebody, Hey, there's only one God. But you can rest assured that he knows there's only one God. Well, how does he know that? Well, he was in the heaven worshiping the one God when the one God kicked him out of heaven. And he still lives in the spiritual realm. And I just love the thought, Bishop, of thinking that the devil had to watch as that one God, when he saw that mankind couldn't save themselves, when he saw that the blood of rams and bullocks wasn't enough to save humanity, I love the thought that the devil had to stand back and there was nothing he could do as that one God stepped out of heaven, the very heaven he got kicked out of. 
of. But that one God stepped out of heaven. He stepped out of the ethereal into the ephemeral and said, I'll take on flesh. I who knew no sin, I'll become sin. And I love the thought that the devil had to say, yep, that's the one God from the one throne that's in heaven. And there was nothing that he could do about it. Oh, rest assured, the devil understands Colossians 2 and 9. That in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But because he's a liar, he can't profess it. He cannot speak it. And don't, make, don't fall into the trap of thinking that the devil doesn't even know the word of God. Because he knows the word of God too. He's been around a long time. He knows the word of God. We find in, in Genesis chapter 3 in the account of Adam and Eve and, and their encounter with the serpent. We find that the devil, as a matter of fact, the serpent knew the word better than Eve knew the word. Which is a terrifying thought to me. Genesis chapter 3 opens up like this. It says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Has, Hath God said you shall not eat? Of every tree of the garden. Pretty straightforward question. And the woman said unto the serpent. Now pause right there. If you're having an entertaining conversations with the devil. You might want to. You might want to rethink a couple things. Before you continue the conversation. But she answers and she says. Unto the serpent. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree. Which is in the midst of the garden. God has said. You shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now there's a problem with Eve's response here. She says, God hath said. Uh, I'll I tell you one thing, even if you're not behind a pulpit. When you open your mouth and say, God hath said. You better be sure that God hath said. But Eve opens up her mouth and she says, God hath said. You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest he died, but there's a problem with her response because you are not going to find anywhere in the book of Genesis where God said, Thou shalt not touch the tree. You won't find it. What you will find is Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 when the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2 and 17. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Let me ask you a really silly question here. I know it's kind of small up there. But does anybody see anything that says, in the day that you toucheth thereof, you're going to die? It's not up there. He said, when you eat of the fruit, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So what's the big deal? Eve was pretty close. Well... The real problem isn't necessarily that Eve just misquoted God. Here's what the problem was. The problem is Eve thought she knew what God said. But she didn't really know what God said. She thought she knew what was commanded of her. But she really didn't know what had been commanded of her. And here's the problem when you think you know the word but don't really know the word. Here's the problem. Your adversary does know the word. And when, you, and when there is... A, a gap between what the word says and what you think the word says that leaves an opportunity, it leaves an open door for the enemy to come in and start sowing confusion. 
The larger the gap between the words you think you know and what is actually written in the book, the larger you allow that gap to grow, the greater the open door is for the devil to come in and start trying to play mind games with you. And this is exactly what happens. Eve says, we can't eat it and we can't touch it. And Satan goes, ah. This one thinks that they know the word. They've been in that five-minute morning devotional, but they've not really gotten in the word. I better stay off that. There's a reason the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. When the word gets in your heart, it gives you an insurance plan against the temptations of the devil. When the word gets in your heart, you don't, you don't fall into those tricks anymore. When you get the word out of the book and into your heart, you can stand there and say, hold on, I know exactly what the word says. I know exactly what is pleasing to God. I know exactly what is displeasing to God. You're not going to catch me on that one, Satan. Sorry, you're not going to catch me on that one. There's a reason that our young people have been spending the first 90 days of this year of 2023 memorizing 90 doctrinal scriptures. It's not just because we had nothing better for them to do. We could have bought a lot of pizza for 90 days. It's not because we just didn't have anything better to do. But I believe that when you get the word in your heart, it starts bulwarking you against some things. And there are some things you begin becoming immune to. I feel sorry for the sorry serpent that tries to convince one of our students that the word of God is old-fashioned. That it doesn't mean anything. That it's not powerful anymore. Because one of our students is going to say, well, hold on a second. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing evil. Even, to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the morrow. I, I feel sorry for that sorry sapsucker who thinks they're going to try and convince one of our kids that there's more than one God. Because they're going to stand up and say, hold on a second. We studied it in youth class. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And there is only one Lord. One faith and one baptism, one God and one Father who is above all and through all and in you all. There's something powerful that happens when you get the word out of the book and you get it in your heart. When you don't have to try and find an internet connection to get the word on your phone, but you've got it in your heart. There's something powerful that happens in that moment. Because when you find yourself in the wilderness and Satan comes up and starts talking... Here's how Eve should have responded. It's written. The word of God already said this. Get out of here. Here's what Jesus did. Satan comes up and tries to tempt him. He says, Satan, it's written. Thus saith the word. It's written. Thus saith the word. It's written. Thus saith the word. But it's really hard to say it's written. Thus saith the word. If you're not sure what thus saith the word. I'm thankful for guidance of the scripture. It said, don't just leave it in the book. Don't just leave it in your notes. Don't just leave it on the desk. Don't just leave it on the nightstand. But get that word in your heart. Get that word deep down inside of you. Because there's nobody that can take that away. One of these days, they might try and come for your Bible. They might try and make it illegal to download the word onto your device. But when you've got the word in your heart, there is nobody on this planet. There is no demon. There is no devil in hell that can take it away from from you when you've hidden it in your heart if you believe it say amen but Eve had a gap there was a gap between what she thought the word said and what the word actually said now there's an old story recorded by ancient Bible commentators and rabbis and I I wasn't there uh, Bishop I don't know if this is exactly how it happened I wasn't in the garden when this happened 
But there's an old story that, that picks up after verse number three when, when Eve says, well, God said we can't touch the fruit and we can't eat of the fruit. And the story, you can find it in the writings of uh, an old rabbi named Rabbi Shlomo ben Yitzhak. And I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but this old rabbi, he wrote a story and he said, Here, here's how it went down in the garden. He said that when Satan heard the response of Eve and he realized that Eve didn't really know the word of God, his ears perked up a little bit. He said, hold on a second. She thinks that God commanded her not to touch it, but God only commanded her not to eat it. So the story says that the serpent just kind of waited in the background a little bit. He was waiting for an opportunity. And one day he saw Eve get a little too close to the tree. He saw her get just a little too close. Maybe she, maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was just the wrong time at the wrong place. But he saw her get just a little too close to the tree. And the story says that the serpent bumped into her and she bumped into the fruit of the tree. And Eve jumps back and she's terrified. She's just waiting to die. She goes, oh, this is it. It's over now. I've touched the fruit. And God said, don't touch the fruit. You're going to die. And Satan's sitting there watching her. And she's, hold on a second. Nothing happened. I, I didn't think I was supposed to touch the fruit, but I still feel so normal. This is, this is weird. And then Satan perks up in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, you're not going to die. See, you thought the moment that you touched that fruit, you were going to die. It was all going to be over. But see, you touched it and nothing bad happened. Uh -huh. Nothing bad happened. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's exactly how it happened back in the garden because I wasn't there. But I can tell you that's exactly how it happens now. We get so caught up in this idea that maybe we get a little too close to the fruit. You see, the devil can't make you eat the fruit. But maybe he can bump you into it. And maybe you can get a little bit too close to it. And when you touch it and suddenly it, you, you still feel so normal. You feel like, uh, you know, I know, I, I know pastor preaches against that. I know I shouldn't have done that, but I, I feel so normal. Nothing, nothing's bad has happened. I know I shouldn't have missed church to go there, but I, I feel so normal. And I, I know I shouldn't have missed prayer meeting to go do that, but I, I'm still here, aren't I? Everything feels so normal. And after a while, the forbidden becomes familiar. And after a while, the more you, you be around the fruit and you touch the fruit, it, it becomes familiar to you. And it becomes comfortable. And something that never was supposed to be familiar, now you know what it feels like. You know what it looks like. And it looks like nothing bad has ever happened. The only thing you haven't done is eaten of it yet. And watch the lie that the devil tries to spin right here. He says, well, now look, because nothing bad has happened, nothing bad will happen. Church family, I, I, this is, this is, I'm not just harping on this church right here. This, I, I'm not the pastor. I understand that. But I'm telling you that the Pentecostal movement, we have got to break out of everything being a heaven or hell issue. We've got to get away from that. Because you get down the mindset that, well, I, I wore that one time or I did that one time and I didn't go straight to hell. Well, well I, everything feels so normal. But there's a reason the fruit was forbidden. The fruit wasn't forbidden just to keep you from touching it. It was forbidden because God knew that if you start touching it, one of these days it's going to look good to you. And when it starts getting familiar to you, you're going to eat of it. And in that day you shall surely die. But you've got to not let that trick happen to you where the forbidden becomes familiar. You see, Satan knows he cannot make you eat of the fruit. 
He can't make you eat it, but if he can get you around it, if he can get you just to touch it, if he can get you familiar with it, maybe, maybe he can get you to eat of it eventually. But can I take a small commercial break right here and remind you that the only reason the devil's trying to get you to eat of the fruit because he understands the potential that is on your life. The only reason he's lying to you in the first place, the only reason he's using up his time trying to speak to you is because he realizes that if you really got plugged in, that you would be unstoppable in the kingdom. If you really got plugged into prayer, the chains of bondage on your family would finally break. If you really got plugged in to what God was trying to do, that you would be absolutely unstoppable. He knows he doesn't have the power to shut down the church. The devil doesn't have that power. He knows he doesn't have the power to stop you from praying. He doesn't have the power to make you do anything. Man, it would be a much scarier world if he did. Man, I would not want to live in a world where the devil had the power to make anybody do whatever he wanted them to do. Man, I'm glad that's not the world that we live in. He can't make you do anything, so what does he do? He tries to get you tripped up in a cycle. There's a cycle of thought. And feeling and behavior. And it repeats over and over and over again. Thought, feeling, behavior. The devil can't make you do anything. He can't affect your behavior. You hear people say it all the time, well, the devil made me do that. No, that was just you. That was just your flesh. No, the devil can't make you do it. You say, well, the devil made me feel that way. No, I'm sorry. The devil didn't create your emotions. God created the emotions. God is the only one who can turn sorrow into joy. God is the only one who can turn mourning into dancing. The devil does not have power over your emotions. He can't make you feel a single thing. He cannot make you feel fear. He cannot make you feel anxiety. He cannot make you feel helpless. He cannot make you feel anything. So what does he do? There's only one thing he can do. He can suggest thoughts to you. Because if he can get you to think about it, if he can get you to think on it, then eventually it's going to start moving into your feelings. And once it starts moving into your feelings, then it starts affecting your behavior. And then the cycle repeats, and it's a vicious cycle. If he can whisper into your ear that you're a failure, and you start thinking about that, you know what, I am a failure. Then a feeling of worthlessness comes over you. And when that feeling of worthlessness comes over you, then it starts affecting your behavior. Then it repeats and it goes over and over and over again. If he can get you to think that you're too messed up to be used by God, if he can plant that thought in your head, then the feeling of hopelessness and worthlessness starts to come over you. And eventually you stop trying. You stop showing up to prayer meeting. You stop showing up to church. You stop even trying. But it all started with a thought. It all started with a thought. He can't make you stop coming to church. He can't make you stop praying. He can't make you feel that way. But he can give you suggestions. He'll try to make you think that you're not smart enough. Maybe he'll try to get you to think that you're not strong enough. Maybe he'll tell you that you're too messed up and broken. Because he knows that if he can get you to think it, he'll get you to feel it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Is this helping anybody? There was a movement that it started moving through our universities I really started seeing it when I was in college back in, as oh Lord, I'm feeling old, 2013, 2014. I was talking to Brother Noah the other day, and, and he said, yeah, I was born in 2000 and. I said, huh? And? He said, yeah, 2004. Don't talk to me. I was born in the 19th, 
He said 2000 and. But there was, there was this thing, there was this ideology that started moving through our college campuses. It, 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 it went like this. People started saying things like, well, my feelings are valid. Okay? My feelings, what does that mean? Well, that means if I feel sad, then you have to validate my sadness. Okay? If I feel anxious, that feeling is valid and you need to validate my anxiety. Okay? And then we were surprised when five years later it turned into, well, I was born as a boy, but now I feel like a girl. And my feelings are valid, so you need to validate my feelings. Listen, I'm not here to question anybody's feelings tonight. What I'm here to question is the thought that preceded the feeling. Because the devil can't make you feel anything. He can't make a boy feel like a girl. He can't make you feel depressed. He can't make you feel anxious. I want to know where was the thought? Where did the thought come from? Who planted that thought in your mind? And why did you accept it? Why did you pull it into your spirit and run with it? He can't make you feel it, but if he can get you thinking it, eventually it's going to take over your heart. I'm not here to question the feelings. Uh, I thank God that I've, I've never had to battle depression. I can't imagine what that feels like. I'm not here to unvalidate the feeling, but I'm here to reveal the tactic of the enemy tonight. I'm here to reveal the cycle and the entry point to the cycle. Because he knows if he can get in your thoughts, it's just a short way to your feelings and your actions. I know we're slowing down for just a moment here, but I... I, we're going to dig in for just a second. I want to expose this tactic of the enemy. I feel like somebody's going to break out of this cycle tonight. I feel like somebody in the Holy Ghost is going to find some freedom tonight over some things that you've been battling in your mind. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. But we find this cycle play out so clearly in Scripture. I mean, it is one after the other. Just a little bit earlier in our reading in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 13, we read that Moses had sent out some spies to search out the promised land. Anybody know the story I'm talking about? Moses sends out the 12 spies. And they, they go and they find that surely this is the promised land. Surely this is a land that flows with milk and honey. They go and they see the fruit of it. We read in Numbers 13 and verse 28. The Bible says, nevertheless, even though we can see that this is the promised land, nevertheless, the people... There they are strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. We saw the giants. Numbers 13 and 33, they say, We saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Now watch this. And so we were in their sight. Understand where we're at here. God's already promised victory. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page about that. God had already promised the victory. He already said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. That, you don't even have to think about it. God's already promised it. God was on their side, but somewhere along the line, the enemy came up and started whispering to them, Hey, you're too small for this. Hey, I know God's, God said some things. I know that preacher preached a big message last week. I know God has promised some things in your life, but... Listen, you're too small for this. Listen, they, they think that you are like grasshoppers. And I can't help but wonder where, where did that thought come from? We know it took hold of their mind because in Numbers 13 and 31, the Bible says, But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. They come back to Moses and they say, we are grasshoppers in our own sight. 
Now, never, don't, don't mind the fact that Caleb's over here trying to say, no, 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 we can do it. Hold on a second. We can do it. God's promised it. If God promised it, let's go take it. If God said it was going to happen, I believe it's going to happen. Caleb's over here waving his arms, saying, hey, I don't care how big you think they are. I don't care how big they think they are. If God promised it, I believe that God can bring it to pass. If God said it's going to happen, I don't have to see who's there. I don't have to know the battle. I don't have to know the struggle. I don't have to know who's going to stand against me. If God said it, I just got enough faith to believe it. But somewhere along the line, the thought had got in their mind, we can't do this. We're too small. And I I just cannot figure out, Bishop, how and where they got that thought. How did they know that everybody in the land saw them as grasshoppers? Like, did they have a survey? Like, were they going door to door? And like, on a scale from grasshopper to goat, or maybe, let's go up to lion. What would you rate us? Grasshopper. Not good. Okay, they go to the next house. Excuse me, sir. Hello, Mr. Giant. Um, if you were looking at me, what, what would you say that I am? A grasshopper? Not good. Okay. Where did that thought come from? I'll tell you where that thought came from. It came from an enemy who knew they were too mighty. It came from an enemy who knew they'd already been promised the victory. That thought came from an enemy who said, I can't stop them in battle. But if I can tell them, hey, you're not big enough for this. Hey, you'll never make it. Hey, listen, don't, don't, don't let God convince you that, that, that you can do it. Don't listen to the words of God. Listen, look how big they are. You are grasshoppers in their sight. Now, regardless of where that thought came from, we know the next thing that happens, the thought turns into a feeling. Because the very next verse, Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 1, we find that all of the congregation, they lift up their voice and they cried and they wept. That night, what's happening? Here's what's happening. The cycle has started. The thought, we can't do it. They're too big for us. has turned into a feeling. Now they feel fear. Now they feel anxiety. Now they feel hopeless. And the next thing that happens, the cycle keeps rolling and it starts to affect their behavior. Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 2 says that all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? I want you to think how quickly this spiraled out of control. Like a chapter beforehand, they had they'd been promised the victory. They could have walked in there and taken what was rightfully theirs. And now the thought that they were too small has turned into a feeling of fear. And now their behavior says, let's just go back to Egypt. It would have been better that we never would have came out or that we just would have died in the wilderness. That's how quickly it can turn out of control. That's how quickly that cycle can spiral out of control. That's exactly where the devil wants to get you. He wants that one thought to turn into a feeling until you're saying, you know what, it'd be better if I just wasn't even here. It'd be better. You know what? Nobody would even notice if I'm gone. I want to remind you that God still has a plan for your life. I don't care what lie the devil has spoken over you. I don't care how worthless he's tried to make you feel. God has a plan for your life. There is hope. There is joy. There is peace. There is blessing. There is all of the goodness of God that is waiting for you. God has a plan for your life. But this is how the enemy works. 
he gets the thought planted in your head and it turns into a feeling and then the feeling turns into behavior and they say let's just go back to Egypt not only did this thought get out of control it was never true to begin with don't be surprised by this but the devil's a liar God, I don't want that to surprise you tonight but you go 40 years later, after they've wandered in the wilderness, they've had pain, they've, they've suffered loss, they've suffered war, things they never should have suffered through. They've gone through all of that just to learn the lesson that the devil's a liar. And we find later on in Numbers chapter 13 that spies are sent again, but this time it's not Moses sending spies. This time Joshua sends the spies and they go into Canaan. They go into Jericho. And they have a conversation with a woman named Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 9. The spies come in. And she says to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. And that your terror is fallen upon us. And all the inhabitants of the land, they faint because of you. Now hold on a second. These are the same people that they thought saw them as grasshoppers. These are the same people that they thought thought so little of them that they were just going to walk over them and destroy them. I don't want you to surprise, this to surprise you tonight, but what the devil convinced them was true was exactly the opposite of what was true. The devil had convinced them that they were too small and that they should be afraid of the enemy. But the reality was the enemy was behind the wall shaking. The enemy was behind the wall saying, oh goodness, if they ever realize how strong they are, if they ever march against this city, there is nothing that we can do about it. The reality was the exact opposite of what the devil had planted in their mind. And I want to tell somebody tonight that whatever the devil's been speaking to you, not only is it not true, but it's the exact opposite of true. If he told you you can't make it, well, congratulations, my friend, you're going to make it. If he told you your family can't be saved, well, congratulations. Congratulations, my friend. Your family can be saved. If he told you that God doesn't have a plan for your life, well, I want you to rest assured tonight that God has a plan for your life. If you believe in somebody, shout yes. Not only is everything the devil says not true, but it is the exact opposite. Don't let him try and tell you that you're never going to see revival in this city. Because when he tries to say that, you just say, okay, I'll accept that the opposite's true. I thank you, God, for the revival that's coming to my city. When he says that you'll never see your family one to Christ, you can just give the Lord a little dance of praise because you can rest assured that if he said it, the opposite must be true. And I thank you, God, for bringing me confirmation through my enemy that my family is coming back. It's time for some children of God to start interrupting the cycle. I don't think I have to remind you tonight that we are, in fact, in war with the devil. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and, and chapter 10 and verse number 4. This is scripture you know very well. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And he gives this beautiful key right here. Here is how you interrupt the cycle. If you have felt yourself in the past months, in the past weeks, in the past days, in the downward cycle. Here right now is the apostle giving you the key to break the cycle. He says bringing into captivity every, every behavior. Every feeling. He says bring into captivity every thought to what? To the obedience of Christ. That means you don't have to accept every thought that the devil tries to plant in your head. That means you don't have to accept every thought that your flesh pops up into your mind. When that thought comes into your mind that says you're not strong enough, that you're not going to make it, you have the authority by the Holy Ghost to take that thought captive and say, sorry, devil, not today. Sorry, devil, you're not playing that game with me today. When he tries to tell you that you're never going to make it through the week, that you can't make it one more day, that you're never going to break out of that struggle, that you're never going to break out of that addiction, you have the authority by the power of the Holy Ghost. To reach up and grab that thought and say, sorry, devil, not today. I'm returning it to cinder. I'm returning it where it came from. Take into captivity every thought. Because when you take the thought into captivity, you never have to fight the feeling of hopelessness. When you take the thought into captivity, you never have to fight the battle of anxiety. When you take the thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ, you can think on things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are just. And you know what happens right after that in Philippians? He says, and the God of peace will be with you. What's that mean? That means when you grab a hold of the authority of the thoughts that are running through your mind, you're going to replace that hopelessness with peace. You're going to replace that, that fear and anxiety with peace. You're going to replace that depression with peace. But it starts with taking every thought into captivity. We read in our opening text that Balak, he was terrified of the children of Israel. And he should have been. Because he knew how strong they were. He knew how powerful they were. And he knew that like every other battle before, that they would have victory in this too. So he calls Balaam and he begs him, come and curse Israel. Will you come and lie to them that they might believe that they aren't as strong as they really are? Even though we both know that nothing we can do can stop them. But if you'll just come and lie to them for me. If you'll just come and curse them for me. Maybe, peradventure, we can overcome them. So Balaam comes, but when he lifts up his eyes and he sees the tents of Israel. When he sees the tabernacle. And he sees the glory of God resting on the people. He can't even bring himself to curse them. One of the most beautiful descriptions of the people of God that you will find in your entire Bible. One of the most beautiful descriptions of the children of Israel that you will find did not come from Moses. It did not come from the prophets. It did not come from the scribes. It came from an enemy of Israel. Because he lifts up his eyes and he begins to speak. But he can't curse them. But he says how goodly in Numbers chapter 24. He says how goodly are thy tents, O Israel. Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 4. 
verse number five. He says, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. He says, God brought you out of Egypt and he's given you strength. He goes on to say, you will defeat all of your enemies because you are blessed and you are highly favored. Now, Balak's not very happy about that. Balak called him to curse Israel. But when the enemy looks at Israel, he can't curse him. He starts blessing him. He says, how beautiful are your tents. You're blessed. You're highly favored. God has given you strength. God has given you victory. And Balak says, what on earth have you done? I brought you to curse them. Why have you blessed them? Why are you standing here talking about how strong they are and how victorious they are? I want to tell somebody in this place tonight that the enemy might have hired some people to come and lie to you. That the enemy might have dispatched some people to try and come and curse you. To try and lie to you. He sent people to try and get you to give up on living for God. He's whispered in your ear that you're not enough. That you're a lost cause. But what I want you to know tonight. That while the enemy is lying to your ear. That somewhere up on the side of a mountain. That very same enemy is looking at your life and he's trembling in fear. Because he realizes if they ever figure out how much God has blessed them. If they ever figure out how much strength God has given them. He's been speaking lies to you. He's been sending curses to you. But you need to know tonight that he's up there while he's lying up on the mountain. And he is scared to death that there are some apostolic young men and some apostolic young women. And some mothers and some fathers at FTC Anderson who are going to realize that God's blessed you. God has done amazing things for you. God has given you strength and you are unstoppable when you realize that you are walking in the authority of the Holy Ghost. Don't let the lies deter you. Don't let the lies confuse you. He's the enemy. He's the devil. He is a liar. But behind closed doors he's shaking. He's shaking realizing that God has blessed you and there's nothing he can do about it. God has forgiven you and there's nothing that he can do about it. God has a plan for your life and there is nothing that he can do about it. He likes to put on a big front. He likes to, to make you think he's strong and mighty. But if you could just see where he's at. If, if we could open up a window into that realm tonight and see the devil and all of his minions, you wouldn't see them sitting there laughing and smirking. You'd see them shaking in their boots. Because there's a church in Anderson. And we're not just going to have revival, but we are having revival. I'm not believing the lie that says you can't have revival in Anderson. I'm not believing the lie that says we can't get P7 clubs into our schools. I'm just going ahead and, and claiming it by the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. That we're walking into our schools. We're walking into our city. We're walking into our businesses. We're walking into the families. And we're not just walking with our own power, but we're walking with the authority of the Holy Ghost. There's an old story that, that is told about There's these two Jewish men sitting in a cafe In a, in a coffee shop in, uh, in Germany in 1933 And you have to understand it's a very much different time World War II was raging And at that time being a Jewish man sitting in a coffee shop in Germany Probably wasn't a great idea there's this old story that's told that these two men were sitting in a coffee shop and one man was reading a Jewish newspaper and the other Jewish man was reading a German newspaper. And it, it kind of ticked the one guy off. He said, how can you read that filth? 
How can you read the newspaper of the enemy? He said, don't you know what they think about us? And the Jewish guy reading the German paper, he said, let me tell you about your newspaper. He says, your newspaper says that all the Jews are assimilating, that we're all giving up our faith, that we're all going to die, that nothing, nothing good's going to happen. He said, let me tell you what the Germans are saying about us. He said, the Germans are saying that we run the banks. He said, the Germans are saying that we run the economic forums. He said, the Germans are saying that we are ruling the world. He said, my friend, if you want the good news, you need to start reading what the enemy has to say about you. He said, if you want the real good news, you need to pick up a newspaper. Don't just listen to the lies in the streets, but open up the window and see. They're really scared. They're really trembling because they know they've got nothing against us. They know they can't take off the favor that God has placed over us. They know that they can't take out the blessings and the power that God has placed on his children. I've come to preach to some people at FBC Anderson tonight to tell you that your enemy believes in you, but not only does he believe in you. Your heavenly father standing for you tonight saying, I've given you the power to do it. I've given you the anointing to do it. I've given you the authority to do it. All you've got to do is start believing it and start walking in the authority of the Holy Ghost. As the music begins to make their way tonight, I wonder if there is anybody in the sanctuary under the sound of my voice that knows the cycle that I've been preaching about tonight. That the devil's tried to batter your mind and he's tried to get you to cycle out of control. But I'm telling you that you can walk up to an altar tonight and you can break out of that cycle once and for all. I'm not talking about just getting a little better. I'm not talking about just feeling a little bit better for one night. I'm talking about breaking the cycle. There is a delivering and a breaking anointing that is in this house right now. And as they begin to play and as they begin to sing, whatever's on their heart, I wonder if there's somebody that would just lift up your hand to the Lord right now and say, God, I'm ready to break out of that cycle. I'm not going to let the devil play tricks on my mind for one more day. I'm not going to believe the lies of the enemy for one more day, but I'm going to start walking a little differently after tonight. I'm going to start walking in authority. I'm going to start walking in the power and the joy of the Lord. I'm going to start walking in the strength of his resurrection. Shatorabashana Rabokola.